The scripture text this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 38 and following. I invite you to open your Bibles uh, to that passage or be attentive to it on the screen. Uh, And in just a moment, we're going to consider that. You know, uh, a lot of tragedies happened while I was away on vacation into Baptist World Alliance in Vancouver. And one of the things that I missed the most uh, about being away during those times was the opportunity to pray with my people, to pray with my congregation. And I'd like for us to bow our heads together and be in God's presence as we pray for our broken world and our broken lives and for all of the spiritual needs around us. Let's pray. We thank you so much, great God, for your mercies. We are reminded every day of our sin and failure and the need to crucify the ego that always insists on its own way to be servants of yours and servants of one another. Forgive us, cleanse us from all of our sins through the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Wash us and make us new and help us to experience true renewal through our worship time together today. And Lord, tragedies abound in our world. We've lost uh, teenagers to death this week in our community. National and international killings. So many that it seems at times difficult to keep up with all of the prayer needs. And so we pray today that your grace might abound and that we might trust you deeply enough to know that your grace is always richer, deeper, stronger. And that through the cross of Jesus and the resurrection, you do have the last word. We pray that today, with your help, we might be able to breathe the name of Jesus over all the pain and brokenness of our world and community. We pray uh, continued blessings on the youth mission trip as they travel home upon their homecoming concert tonight. We pray on behalf of all of those who are grieving, all of those who are troubled, all of those who've lost their way, all of those who are sick that today you might gather up in your arms of love each person and bring healing and blessing. And now, God, as we seriously look at your scripture and listen carefully, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And now, if you're able, would you stand, please, and I'll read aloud Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have a friend 
who was describing to me his grown daughter, and uh, he was trying to describe how busy she always is, how frantic she always is, how many lists she has, and, and he, he actually made a mistake. He meant to say she's really good at multitasking. What he ended up saying was maybe even more accurate, though it was a mistake. He said, my daughter is really good at megatasking. And I thought maybe we could coin a new word, a new phrase, megatasking, that would be sort of a step beyond multitasking. And we probably have some people here this morning who are pretty good at megatasking. You can just juggle lots of things at once and get a lot of things done, and that's, that's admirable, that's great. Martha was great at megatasking. Scripture says that she was having Jesus in her home, and she was frantically working in the kitchen, and her sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and wasn't helping at all. And Martha appealed to Jesus, asked Jesus to step in and to correct her sister. And Jesus said, no, Mary's actually chosen the better part. Scripture describes Martha as distracted. Interesting, the root word for that. It means overburdened or dragged about by forces over which we have no control. Good description of your life? Overburdened? and dragged about by things over which you don't get to vote, you don't have any say-so, feeling sort of just pulled apart in every direction. Peter Scazzaro uh, has talked about the difficulties and the the mistakes of uh, the unhealthy balance, of being so focused on doing that we don't have a sense of being. He warns us about that unhealthy balance when we have agenda anxiety and we're overcome. And he he lists several warning signals that we're moving into a dangerous zone of the to-do list taking over our lives. I won't list them all, but uh, here's a few of them. I know that I'm over-functioning when my body is in a knot, when my mind can't stop racing, when I am driving too fast, when I am not able to be fully present, when I am irritable about simple tasks, when I'm skipping my time with God. Do any of those resonate with you? The sense that maybe you're moving too fast, that you're doing too much, that you're irritable, you're you're angry in traffic, you're uh, skipping your time with God, you're all knotted up. I mean, all of those things speak to me. I don't know about you. If we're honest, I think they all hit us. And they're, they're really important reminders. But here's the point. The point that we sometimes forget in a society that seems to honor busyness. Busyness proves nothing. Being busy proves absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual if you're busy. Doesn't mean you're a better Christian. Doesn't mean you love Jesus more doesn't mean you're more productive, doesn't mean that you are more important, and it doesn't mean that you're happier. In fact, the opposite might be true. So busyness proves nothing and solves nothing. And the story about Mary and Martha and Jesus sort of validates that. Now Martha's focus... And her wrong priorities seem to come into clearer uh, understanding when they are put up against the contrast of Mary. 
In other words, we see Martha's distractions more clearly because Mary is so different from her. Scripture says that Mary was enjoying contemplation and worship. She was doing two wonderful things. She was at Jesus' feet. That's the posture of a disciple. And she was listening to him. That's the attitude of a disciple. The posture of a disciple at Jesus' feet. The attitude of a disciple listening to him. And we could just stop right here and say something obvious that needs to be stated. If for no other reason this story is in the Bible to remind us we don't save ourselves. There's no such thing as a works salvation. You never get to the place where you do enough for God, do enough for the community, that you earn these points and God says, I forgive you your sins. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't have to work that way. See, Mary at Jesus' feet is that picture of salvation where we say, I can't manage my life by myself. I couldn't do enough work for God to forgive my sins. I don't have to. I repent. I fall at Jesus' feet and cry out for His mercy, and I listen to Him, and I receive Him into my life. It's by faith, by simple trust. That's what brings us into right relationship with God, not our scurrying about trying to fix the world in our own strength. And Jesus said, Martha, your sister has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. That's the other great thing I love about being a follower of Jesus. This better part can never be taken away from us because it's about a relationship with God. No one can take it from us. No problems can cancel it out. No heartache can can erase it. The better part cannot be taken from us. But I want to ask you something. How did Mary know it was the better part? Well, hopefully you know it in the moment by faith. But sometimes we know we've chosen the better part by looking back on it and, say, and saying to ourselves, it was really important. So maybe one of the things uh, that we need to do in our lives when we're all stressed about our to-do list is to ask ourselves the question, will this matter someday? Does this really matter? Will this matter five hours from now? Will this matter five years from now? Will this matter 50 years from now or 500 years from now? That sense of perspective that seems to be missing in our culture today, of of getting a sense of proportion about the things that are eternal and the things that are not. Uh, You know, with the latest craze going on, I thought about um, putting uh, something on Facebook and in the newspaper that said, First Baptist Church, we don't have Pokemon Go but we do have Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. You know, there are just some things that that take the world by storm, but in eternity, they're not really significant. And so, that reminds me of uh, what Francis of Assisi said one time when he was describing contemplation. He said, contemplation is taking long, loving looks at what is real. That's contemplation. 
taking long, loving looks at what is real. Because a lot of the things that the world tries to tell us is real is not real. It doesn't last. It doesn't have a shelf life. Jesus said, Mary's chosen the better part. It lasts. It's real. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet taking a long, loving look at it, at him. But, but, Scripture always deals with balance. Scripture always wants us to keep perspective and not go off on one side or the other. Every text in the Bible has a context. That is, Scripture and stories that surround it. The text is the story about Mary and Martha and Jesus. Mary choosing the better part. But that doesn't mean that Martha was doing the wrong thing. Every text has a context, and the context of this particular story has right before it the story of the Good Samaritan, which Hannah did a wonderful job preaching on last week. I listened to it uh, on the church's webpage, on the, on the audio file. The story of the, the man beaten and in the ditch, and the, it's the Samaritan who comes along and rescues him. So think about this. The context of those two stories, the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of Mary and Martha, is the question in Luke 10, 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer in verse 27, love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. To illustrate loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. To illustrate loving God with all your being, Luke includes the story of Mary at Jesus' feet. Each of those stories illustrates one side or the other of the great commandment of loving God and loving neighbor. They go together. There's a rhythm to the Christian life. There's a cadence to the Christian life. It's not one or the other. It's left, right, left, right. It's both and. It's both loving God and loving neighbor. It's both serving in the kitchen but sitting at Jesus' feet. It's not one thing. If we emphasize only one, we, we end up sacrificing both because we don't have that balance. To ask which one of these is important is like being in an airplane and being asked which wing do you want to fall off. You need both wings to fly. And uh, Fred Craddock, in his commentary on Luke, has a great uh, comment on this truth about the balance of the scripture. He says, you know, the lawyer who asked this question, what must I do to inherit life, wanted to spend all of his time studying, but Jesus said, you also need to see the hurting people around you, so he told the Good Samaritan story. And for those people who are action-oriented and always want to be rolled up, have sleeves rolled up out in the community doing good, a reminder that we need to remember why we do this and be at the feet of Jesus. And Fred Craddock goes on and says, if you were to ask which of these stories apply to me, the Good Samaritan, or the story of Mary at Jesus' feet, which of these stories apply to me, Jesus would probably, rep probably reply, yes, yes, they both do. 
They both do. So you see, it's not a question of which we should do, love God or love others, do acts of mercy and healing and restoration or worship. It's not a question of which. It's a question of which is appropriate at a particular moment. It's not a matter of either or. It's a matter of both and. We need Mary and we need Martha. At that particular moment, the calling of God is on our lives. And so it takes spiritual discernment to see what's in front of me. And see, that's, that's a clue to how we figure this out. What's in front of you at this moment? The mistake that the Levite and priest made in the story of the Good Samaritan is that they missed the moment. There was a bleeding man in front of them, but all they could think about was worship. What's in front of you at this moment? The mistake that Martha made was she was missing the moment. Jesus, the Son of God, was in her house. And she was going to miss the moment because of her to-do list. What's in front of us at the moment? And this narrative of loving God and loving neighbor, and neighbor defined as anyone broken and in need, this narrative is not an incidental theme. It's in both Testaments of Scripture. It's in the writings of the Apostles. It's in all four Gospels, over and over again. Loving God and loving others is the dominant narrative of the Christian story. And we're living through a time right now, nationally and internationally, where others want to make the dominant narrative one of violence and one of hate. But we live as an alternative community with an alternative narrative, an alternative story, and we must not and we will not let the world around us set the agenda or name the dominant narrative. The dominant story of our lives is loving God and loving others. And we, as followers of Jesus, will insist on that. You know, there's another clue as to discerning this balance between loving God, loving others, whether it's a time of rolling up sleeve and serving or just quietly contemplating in worship. God actually built it into the universe. He built it into our bodies. And interestingly enough, he built it in to his Ten Commandments. It's about Sabbath rest. God built it into our rhythm of life that there be a time to break away from doing to just love and adore and worship and contemplate, not only in every day, but in every week, in every season of life. The great Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel once said that the first holy thing that God created was not a holy people, the Israelites, or not a holy place, the temple. Heschel said the very first holy thing that God created was holy time. He created a holy day. 
a day of Sabbath. He called it a cathedral of time, a cathedral of time, a sanctuary of time to enter into and to break the rhythms of duties to contemplate and to worship. And Martin Luther reminded us when he taught on the Ten Commandments that God instituted the Sabbath not, first of all, to get us to stop working, but to, first of all, allow us to give God room to work, to give God space to work in our lives. And isn't that the balance that is being being described in Luke chapter 10, in the Mary Martha story, in the Good Samaritan story? That we make room for God to work so that refreshed we may work and that we're constantly moving back and forth between them, discerning the moment. We don't burn out. We move back and forth in the rhythm between work and rest, work and worship. And then we have the energy to be the blessing that the world needs us to be. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you for this cathedral of time called Sabbath. We thank you for your heart for us and for your world. Guide us in this time of response, we pray, with an openness to your Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to remain with your heads bowed. In just a moment, Don will come and lead us in our response time. But with heads bowed, I want to invite you to just uh, reflect for a moment seeking God's leadership on the moment in your life, a season of service, a moment of duty, balanced out with taking time to love and worship and contemplate and enjoy the presence of God, to see if there's some checking that needs to be done in your life, some correcting, daily time with God, worship habits, disciplines of service and helping others, asking the Spirit to rid you of attitudes of hatred toward people who are different. Whatever the season in your life, could you be present to the moment? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, we don't get to that point by running around trying to show off for God. We get to that point by coming and falling at Jesus' feet and crying out to Him and trusting Him. And if that's the hunger of your heart this morning, We'll be here at the front to pray with you and to help you. Others may want to come join our church or come about a prayer concern. Whatever it is, whether it's public or a private time between you and God, we just invite you to have that. Amen.